the better claim to the throne. Every time a Targaryen is born, the gods flip a coin. The Mad King gave his enemies the justice he thought they deserved. Children are not their fathers. Be a dragon. You have a gentle heart. Targaryen, alone in the world. It's a terrible thing. You don't want to wake the dragon, do you? Welcome to the Coffee Clatch Crew Game of Thrones episode review. I'm Jason Pistorino. I'm Christina Lomangino. The night is dark and full of terror, but we're here to shed some light on this week's Game of Thrones. Episode 5, the penultimate episode titled The Bells, written by Benioff and Weiss and directed by Miguel Sapochnik. IMDb is currently giving this a 6.9 and Rotten Tomatoes a 46%. Oh my goodness. Yeah, it's the lowest rated penultimate episode out of the entire series. The episode previously claiming this position was Beyond the Wall, last season seven, episode six, and that had a rating of 9.1 out of 10, (laughs) which was the IMDb lowest. Now, they were at a 9.1 for episodes one and two. I feel that's pretty standard for an opening of a season. They went up to a 9.5 for The Long Night, but dropped to a 7.3 for The Last of the Starks, and now they're at a 6.9 for The Bells. So that's how the critics are taking it, and we'll give you a quote from either side in just a moment. The fans are equally split. A lot of the feedback and the things that we're seeing online is similar to the way this has been trending. Some people absolutely love it. Some people are really frustrated with it. As ever, we're going to go over all of that. But I have to say my feelings are similar to the last episode, episode four, in that my real disappointment came in the long night the follow-up to that aspect of the story that I was looking for. There was and continues to be some ripple-out effects. But once we got to this stage of the story where my expectations were lower and I realized what kind of an ending I think we're in store for, I'm actually able to sit back and relax it a little more and enjoy the things that are good about it. And I thought the things that were good were really good here. Yes, there are still problems, and us being CKC, we are going to talk about it, but I'm really excited to go through everything that happened here. And just a jam-packed episode. So as we have done once already this season, we have decided to break this up into two podcasts. This one, we will cover the overall thoughts, the fun facts for the episode, say farewell to our characters that had deaths, go over the crow's eye view for our plot, and give our raven rating for the episode. Later on this week, we'll have our follow-up, part two, that will cover the MVB, Most Valuable Bannerman, with your poll results. Clatcher's comments, which we have many. I can't wait to hear about all that. We will do our closer look that will cover the Red Keep and our spoiler section with the sneak peek through the heart tree for our finale. We got a packed week because right after that, we'll be releasing our Coffee Break episode over on Patreon. We'll say it again later, but speaking of what's coming in the future, we should probably talk quickly about what's coming for CKC Podcast. A good friend of mine asked, are you going to bring up on the podcast that maybe we need a little extra TLC and something like therapy 
<laughs> for what's going on with this show. One of our most beloved series where all the fans have really gathered together and are passionate in a way that you don't often see with television. It's going to leave a huge hole in our lives. And we've talked about that before, right? How sad are we going to be once there's no more Game of Thrones? So we want to keep the fun going a little bit longer. Thankfully, HBO has helped to provide that. The week after the series proper ends, they're going to be doing a two-hour documentary covering all of the behind the scenes that went into creating this show. I'm assuming a lot of stuff that they couldn't say prior to the ending. I'm hoping it's not an amalgamation of the clips that we've been watching on HBO.com, but it could be because those were like 30 minutes, 40 minutes long. It could be an amalgamation of that and a little bit of extra stuff, but those were good anyway, so I'm excited to speak about it. I'm hoping they combine all of that, kind of like they do with the DVD box sets when they come out and you get those extras that are just packed with all of this additional information, interview clips, amazing visuals, and even a lot of that behind the scenes stuff we bring up, but we haven't gone deep into it. So Mm. it'll be really nice to talk about that. I hope they have segments where they follow one of our favorite actors for a whole day of shoot. I mean, obviously edited down, it's not a full day, but all the cool parts where they start the day, they're getting dressed with all the other cast members, they go out to shoot, you see them do some lines, cut, they come and talk to us, they go to lunch with the crew, we get to see, you know, like a a day in a life of an actor of Game of Thrones. Yeah, there was a little bit of that in this week's Behind the Scenes, and I enjoyed seeing it. We'll talk more about that later. That's airing May 26th, so shortly thereafter, we will have an episode on that. And the following week, we'll have our final Game of Thrones episode, which is a bonus cast. Kind of a reflective on this whole season as well as the entire series. What are our thoughts now that it's over looking back? Yeah, I think it's a podcast that we're going to all need. We're going to need to have a discussion at the water cooler And we will be putting up on Twitter and on Facebook questions for the Clatchers. So be sure to follow us there and keep track so that you can be involved in this bonus podcast. Part of what we do through all of those shows is we give a season rating. Just like our Raven ratings for the episode, we will do it for the season. We'll do our MVB for the season. Unfortunately, we can only put four. That's going to be tough. Yeah. We'll have to figure that out and have our final thoughts on everything for now. We're never done with Game of Thrones. Everyone knows there's going to be a prequel next year. We're not entirely sure what that's going to be about. I'm pulling for the long night. But you know CKC will be back to cover it when that time comes. And in the meantime, we're going to be doing fun segments that involve Game of Thrones throughout the year. So be sure to stay subscribed to our channel. You know, we might do deeper dives into certain characters, into certain theories... I think it could be really fun. A little like our closer looks, but more expanded. We could have some fun polls that we put up from time to time. Even silly things, like we took a quiz on which Game of Thrones character would you be. And actually really in-depth one that breaks down percentages, stuff we just didn't have time for during the regular season. There's been so much to talk about. So periodically, we will send you updates on that and make sure you stay subscribed so you always get all of our coverage. Not only that... After we do the HBO documentary, which is called The Last Watch, and our bonus episode, we're going to be moving into a new show. Well, new show for us. Right. We've been watching. We haven't covered it in the podcast yet. We're talking about Big Little Lies, season two. This was a book that Christina read years ago. And then last year when we saw it was coming on, we were like, we've got to watch it. And we loved it. Midway through it, we were like, why aren't we podcasting about this? That airs on June 9th. We're still debating the format that we're going to use for this. 
we got in so late to the game when we did sharp objects that we wound up trying to do it all in one episode, (laughs) which is crazy, but we don't want to do every episode. So we're thinking maybe two episode per podcast type of coverage, which would give you a total of about four episodes. The reason we're doing this is that we've been nonstop for 31 weeks straight without a break from one show to the next to the next. So we wanted to have a little bit of a break. Remember what it was like to see the sun to have a life, to speak to each other without a microphone in front of each other. But we still wanted to continue to podcast. So we're still not sure if we're going to create its own channel. If you're really interested and you love what we do and you want to watch Big Little Lies, make sure you find our main channel on whatever podcast app you're using, because we're on all of them. Just search Coffee Clatch Crew. It's a white background. It says Coffee Clatch Crew with our icon, dude. That's our main channel where all of our podcast feeds go into. So you won't miss any podcast, especially Big Little Lies. Okay, with housekeeping out of the way, let's dive into this 80-minute jam-packed episode. I'm going to start out by giving you two critics' reviews. The first was a positive one from Entertainment Weekly that said The Bells was the most consequential episode in Game of Thrones history. An extremely tense visual stunner that had an enormous impact on all of our major characters. Ramin Jawadi's score ratcheting the tension to another level throughout all the scenes. But we had the flip side from USA Today that says, Where to begin with the bells? An absolute disaster of an episode that exhibited every bad habit the series writers ever had. They threw out their own rule book. Suddenly the scorpions don't work and Drogon can burn everything to pursue gross spectacle. Character and substance were left by the wayside so plot could go where the writers wanted. The pace was rushed, the script created conflicts out of thin air, relished in violence, and let a main character survive beyond any reasonable odds. Throughout those reviews, I agree with some of it. The positives, absolutely, this was visually amazing. Even when it was disturbing and insane, everything looked beautiful and artistically shot and well thought out, and behind the scenes showed just how much work went into every part of that. Jawadi's scoring we have talked about before, and some of our listeners have really been tracking this. And she ran, wrote in a couple of times about the piano sequences that we hear more prominently in this season. And that was on full display. We'll talk about it as we go through the episode, particularly with The Light of the Seven and The Reigns of Castamere, and Jawadi actually creating a mix of the two in this episode that is original, one leading into the other. There were some payoffs that I really, really appreciated, but overall its biggest negative is the one that's been going on since the end of season six and just gets exacerbated now, and that's the rush. So many ideas I think were good in their foundation, and I see where they were going with it. They just didn't have enough time to pay it off slowly in traditional Game of Thrones fashion that it feels earned and completely satisfying by the time we get to the conclusion, rather than we get there and we're saying, hold on a second, does this add up? Did we see enough of this? Was there enough time for Jamie's complete redemption arc and then flip-flop backwards or for Danny being the Mad Queen? I'm not going to give you my thoughts on that yet, but I do understand and support the idea that it was too quick on a lot of fronts. Well, I can't front. It's been the issue all season that we've been talking about. It's only been growing and growing every episode. I do agree with you. This was one of the most visually spectacular episodes of TV ever. But as you said, because of the six episodes, the last season, the fact that they have no more source material to go to, it's growing more and more evident that Pimple is getting redder Mm. and bigger on his nose. (laughs) It's like a snowball going down the hill, just 
picking up and yeah. picking up. And this episode kind of points out these key moments. And you can look back now at season eight and go, oh, that's why they did that. That's why they had to do that. Let me give you an example. One thing that we're going to complain about, and a, a lot of Clatchers have, and a lot of the internet, why was the scorpion so dangerous last episode? And now, with one dragon, she's able to take out a fleet of scorpions and then a whole castle's worth. And not get hit once. And not get hit once. I believe it's the fact that R.R. Martin said to them, these are the characters that are left alive for the final battle. I haven't written how they get to that point yet. I mean, he probably gave him more than this. I'm going to simplify it. This is the final battle. This is the end game. Episode five comes along and they're like, well, we still got Rhaegal. We got to kill him. We got to strip her down. We got to strip her down quick. So then they do the scorpion and they do Masande. Oh man. Okay. So the first four seasons, we were really good at reminding everyone that Danny has a dark side and she's twisted. Remember when her brother died? She kind of reveled in it. The thread is there. It's always been there, okay? So, yes, those seeds have been planted. The people saying this was foreshadowed all along. Absolutely. But when you've created such complex, intricate, beautiful characters and storylines, it's not about the finish line. Mm -hmm. It never was with George's books. It's getting there. It's the journey. And he even admits he got stuck in certain places that he didn't know how to write his way out of because getting out of it is just as important. Danny is still stuck in Marine right now in the books. And I think part of that was he knew this has to feel satisfying. And if she comes across the narrow sea with a completely indestructible arsenal of weapons at her side, soldiers and armies and dragons... It's going to seem illogical that she wouldn't just take out Cersei, take out King's Landing. Nothing can beat her. And so I think that's kind of the corner that we got stuck in. And some of the things they were able to dig their way out of effectively, a lot of others they weren't. I'm hoping to give some rebuttals for things that I actually do think they did well here. And the issue is because people get frustrated that the big picture isn't ending up where we want to sometimes everything gets thrown into that basket yeah you know they just messed everything up i don't like anything here yeah it's not about the big picture i knew we'd be disappointed that's game of thrones but those seeds that were planted about danny season five six and seven they stopped planting those seeds they made us think she changed she realized what her ideal is is the breaker of chains for the people freedom and they had five episodes, well, not even five, because The Long Night was its episode in its own, to kind of make us start to think that, oh, she's evil again. And it was just too quick. I would say... Not even evil again. I don't think she was ever evil well, in the again, first place. Not again, but you know what I mean. She had the, the propensity, mm. right? You know, the thing that they always say that they had to go back to here every time a Targaryen is born, the gods flip a coin, that she had worked so hard to overcome those things but with the right set of factors to create a breakdown, it could still come out. And I think it is so reflective of everything that they needed to use the previously on to voice over a ton of quotes that we've gotten about the dangers of Targaryens throughout mm -hmm. the seasons to remind you and tip their hat, this is coming and we have laid the tracks. That's a problem when you need to do that. So I would say that I wouldn't mind this being the ending, barring a few things that we'll go through later. This is Game of Thrones. We're supposed to be upset. Next episode, we're going to be even more upset, probably. It's how quickly they did it. If they made season eight all about getting up to the long night, the penultimate episode of season eight would be the long night. But five other episodes could be integrating the storylines about Bran and getting that thicker. 
that fuller. Then do season nine, do another six episodes, whatever, but do a whole season about the last war. Yeah. Don't try to cover both in one season. It's too much. And then we have a whole season to see Danny start to break and bend. And we have a whole season to see why Jamie starts to break and bend and wants to leave the first person and first time he's happy and so on and so forth. Yeah. Most characters are suffering from that same problem. So like I said, I I understand the inclination to be frustrated and kind of throw all the eggs in that basket. But in trying to be really objective and taking a step back, there are things here that I really appreciated and I thought worked for me, at least. As we've said in the past, everyone's going to have their own opinions and we're entitled to it. There's no wrong way to view the show, no wrong reactions to have. We're just here to share that discussion. Yeah, again, and I can't believe I have to, I just feel like I need to reiterate this over and over again. I love this show. (laughs) I loved this episode. It was visually captivating. I always wanted to see the dragons kick some ass. The circumstances. It's just how they got there. There, There's normally more dialogue. There's normally a bigger journey for us to go on with the characters so that we're feeling what they're feeling. That's all. What an incredibly conflicting emotional experience and perhaps on purpose. I think it's amazing that we were able to feel this way. We go up against the ultimate evil of the Long Night, the Night King. This is where we really want to see the dragons fight for what is good, burn them all in a good way. Burn them all in a good way. And we don't, we don't quite get that. We leave feeling, yes, we won, but we never got those moments of true satisfaction. We are on top. This feels really great. We're always at risk for our lives and can't believe we made it out of there. Now, <laughs> the time where we want restraint. No, don't burn them all. For goodness sakes, these are innocent people. It's happening. And so there's the one hand where you want to see the dragon unleashed just because this is visually amazing. Everything that's happening on screen, but you're horrified at the same time. Mm-hmm. So that's crazy that they were able to do that. And like we say, we're not going to go through the whole behind the scenes. It's a 30-minute extra. They're incredible to watch. Just some of the fun facts that they went over during that. They started out with three and moved to four camera units, full units, to cover this episode. There were 650 extras. 22 people were set fire to twice. I believe that's the most people ever burned on screen. It was. It's crazy. And watching how they did that, the different layers of suits and everything they had to wear, and the one actor saying, they only just lit me on fire. We're not even to the countdown yet (laughs) of when he calls action, and I'm already so hot. How are we going to do this? They recreated all of King's Landing, all of Dubrovnik to make it look like that, the streets, the buildings, everything up until the point where you walk through the doors so that they could destroy it in a way that looked right. Each building had its own system of pipes, hoses, gas tanks, so it could be lit on fire. They even had a five-high container wall built around the city they made to keep drones from being able to fly over and actually see what was happening inside the set. Something I didn't notice until I watched the after show, but Green Bay quarterback Aaron Rodgers, he was in the background. (laughs) Yep. He was helping a woman who was injured but then abandoned her and ran away. He looked like he had a lot of fun there. And also, the beginning of the battle, they kind of mirrored Battle of the Bastards. The camera angles, opening shots, where the Golden Company leader is framed, just like Jon Snow was. The camera comes up behind him, showing the invading forces ahead of him. That's what they did with Jon in Battle of the Bastards. 
And now John's the invading force. The good guys have become the bad guys. For sure. Arya frantically running through the halls of the Red Keep with flames erupting overhead. Mirrors Bronn when he was doing that in last season's loot train ambush. So a lot of callbacks. I, I appreciate the callbacks. A lot of the other fun facts have to do with deaths. So why don't we get into honoring those we lost this episode? There were quite a few. We'll start out with Varys. This was a tough one for me. As much as we hated Littlefinger, we loved to hate him, right? Mm -hmm. Him and Varys were the two smart schemers behind the scenes of the power players of the Game of Thrones. And for a long time, it was a question, are they good? Are they bad? Is one good? Is one bad? It takes almost up until the end to realize Varys is truthful about what he says. He has always been about the realm and he's always been for the people. And he goes out with these really prophetic words. I hope I'm wrong about this, but I don't think that I am. It turns out that death sequence took them the course of six months to shoot. They had to keep refilming different parts of it. There was issues with torrential downpours happening. So they said that poor Conolith Hill would be called up and it's like, okay, I got to die again. (laughs) Another thing that perhaps felt like it came really quick, but I thought that it played out in true Varys fashion. Of course, we had a death that we really appreciated. (laughs) And that's with Euron. This is being called the Dane Bowl because those two are Danish actors. Killed by Jamie in combat on the beach. Uh, we have a lot to say about that, but we'll wait for the plot. Died with a smile on his face, and apparently that was unscripted, and they kept trying to get him to close his eyes, and the actor kept saying, no, that's not how Euron would die. And him and Jamie were talking in Danish to each other, and they were worried, like, are they going are they off script something? here? Yeah. What are they talking about? <laughs> then we had the Hound and the Mountain, Sandor and Gregor. After their deaths, that means Clegane House is now extinct. Also, with the mountain and Cersei gone, everyone that was on Arya's kill list is now dead. So that's oh boy. pretty crazy to think about, right? Hence the horse, I guess. I hope I'm not the only one. I've, do you remember me saying when the mountain lost his helmet, he looked like a swollen Varus? Yeah, didn't look like the actor himself at yeah. all, right? So much prosthetics. Yeah, but he looked like Varus. I don't know it, why. It was a little weird. <laughs> That actor had to wake up at midnight to start shooting at 8 a.m. So that's seven and a half hours of makeup and then a 10-hour shooting day, which was insane. And I can't wait to talk about that scene as well. Clegane Bowl. We have Kyburn killed by the mountain right before he started fighting his brother. Yeah, and pretty much that means all of the scheming players are gone now, right? I mean, you could put Tyrion in that category, but really the folks behind the scenes moving the pieces... Mm have kind of all been removed. And of course, we have Jamie and Cersei. There's been a lot of talk about the prophecy. <laughs> was this a fulfillment? Was it not? We're speaking of the prophecy we got in 2015 in the episode, The Wars to Come, where they did omit this part, the final sentences from the books. And when your tears have drowned you, the Valonqar shall wrap his hands about your pale white throat and choke the life from you. Having not said that in the TV show, they're under no contract to have that play out. But I think we saw pieces of it here, and I am excited to talk about what happened between Jamie and Cersei. Also a fun fact that she met her demise in this episode that aired on Mother's Day while her father Tywin was killed on Father's Day in 2014. Ooh. They just love to get those digs in. So similar to the coffee cup Starbucks gate... Which, by the way, we found out it's not a Starbucks cup. It's not even coffee. 
it's tea. But it doesn't matter because it's been said that Starbucks pretty much got about $2.5 million worth of exposure from Game of Thrones' mistake. Just thank you. Keep talking about us. Just keep talking about us. So on those regards, I found some things on the internet saying that they made another mistake this episode during the hug that Jamie gives Cersei in their final scenes. His hand, so his left hand, you can see it. His right hand is behind her back and you can see it, just the fingers. It's his actual hand. They forgot the... Oh. But here's the thing I didn't notice live. And that's because it was fixed before it went live. Okay. Someone got screenshots of it before and then tried to leak it. Like, have you seen this mistake? Ah, uh, so we didn't see that on TV. No, we didn't. There were some weird things going on with his hand in the episode, but we'll talk about that later. Well, on top of all of these major character deaths, we also lost Harry Strickland, the entirety of the Golden Company. Real quick. The rest of the Kraken fleet, most are all of the Lannister army. I'm assuming some of the northern forces, I don't think they all made it out of there alive because there was just indiscriminate destruction after a while, but an awful lot of small folk. Well, if we didn't lose them, the north folk, physically, we lost a lot of them mentally because they started to go a little nuts. Absolutely. So for all those people, now your watch has ended. Let's get into our crow's eye view and go through the plot. We already discussed the previously on quotes about the Targaryens. I just want to say the final two where they say a Targaryen alone in the world is a terrible thing and you don't want to wake the dragon reminded me of Viserys, Danny's brother, and there were quite a few other parallels drawn throughout the episode to that. In fact, when she's standing in the room in Dragonstone, I said, oh my goodness, it's her brother. This is scary. <laughs> and that's where we open up the episode on Dragonstone, with Varys writing a letter about Jon's identity, making him the true heir to the Iron Throne. To who? I don't know. Who do you think he was writing to? And did he get that first letter off? Yeah, I think he got the first letter out. I'm assuming, like you said last week, Dorne. I don't know who else it would matter to. Maybe the North? Back to the North? Uh, Could be, but I agree with you. We saw him writing from daytime into night, I don't think the letter he burned was his first and only one. He might have gotten quite a few off. And I would have to believe one of them went to Dorne because it would be very odd for them to bring up them having a new prince for that to go nowhere. Yeah. I know we don't have a lot of time. Do I think we're going to see much of them? No. But I think that his plans have to come to something after killing him off so quickly here. Varys is a smart man and did want decisions made that would help the realm. Things are becoming so dire now. I think somebody else is going to show up. There's other things happening in the scene too. He's interrupted by one of his little birds, a girl named Martha, who informs him Danny isn't eating and her soldiers are watching her. They're pushing this concept when Varys reminds her, the greater the risk, the greater the reward. So I have thoughts about what could be going on here. What do you think? Well, he says, we'll try again at supper, which means we're trying something. I think they're watching me. Who? Her soldiers. Of course they are. That's their job. And then he goes into the bigger the risk. So I think he was trying to poison her. Yeah, there's been a lot of theorizing on that, and it makes total sense. It would bring us back around full circle to where we open up Game of Thrones, finding out about the death of Jon Arryn by poisoning. Something that kick-started this whole thing off. Hmm. And had several appearances on the TV show, even more in the books, major characters being poisoned or attempted to be poisoned. We do see it happening with Lady Olena here. And I wonder if him leaving the ring 
in that jar later was some kind of signal to the little birds. If he leaves it in there, it means go through with the plan. I think so. It's got to mean something. They showed it. They took the time to show it. Then outside, Tyrion watches from above as Varys goes to meet Jon on the beaches. Jon says the Northern Army has just crossed the Trident and should be there soon. When Varys fills him in that Danny hasn't left her room, Jon wonders what he really wants. He says all he's ever wanted was the right ruler on the throne. He's not sure where Danny's coin has landed yet, but he is sure about Jon. He would rule wisely and well. But Jon, denying his desires yet again, adamantly reinforces Danny is his queen. I was confused why Varys would tell Jon. He knows his feelings about this. Varys is a very smart man, and all of his plots before this have been so carefully considered. I don't know if he felt everything was moving too quick and he had nowhere else to turn. He tried to tell Tyrion. He knew this message was going to get to Danny soon. Probably thought his life was in jeopardy. And this is the horse he wants to back, so maybe go for it? Why now? It seems a little odd, right? What would be the outcome he would want if John was like, you're right. Let me go talk to her. (laughs) (laughs) And then what? They don't have a dragon. They don't have her army. Or John has to kill her and then hope the dragon is with him and the army's with him. Mm -hmm. It would make a mess before the actual war. Yeah. So I I come back to, I think the only explanation could be he knows he's short on time. Who else does he tell? What else does he do, really? Speaking of last attempts, Tyrion then goes to find Danny in the war room. I love this shot of him walking in. It's dark in there, and there's the stone dragon carving behind him. Maybe just symbolizing Danny's power, her place in this room, his reluctance to go in there and talk to her. But there's also been a lot of theories about Tyrion that we will get to in our spoiler section with one episode left. I don't know if we have time for any of this stuff that we love to think about, but it is worth talking about. So that's all for later. Here, before he can speak, she says she already knows someone has betrayed her. She thinks it's Jon, but Tyrion says it was Varys. However, she knows exactly how this all happened. Jon did what she urged him not to and told Sansa who then went directly to Tyrion, knowing that he would spread secrets that could bring her down. Ultimately, she blames this whole thing on Jon. Varys apologizes if he failed her. He says he wants what she wants, a better world. And Varys wants that as much as anyone. But then he realizes it doesn't matter now anyway. And I think everybody's kind of coming to that conclusion, urging the Watcher to the same point. Danny's made her decisions. There is no changing her mind. And this is the scene where she looks... Very bedraggled. Yeah. Bedraggled? Ooh. (laughs) She's pale. She's got these dark circles under her eyes. Her hair is a mess. She looks crazy. Crazy, sickly. She feels alone. Oh, yeah. The way she's leaning up against the window. And what's so interesting when you look at the complexity that is behind this, we get hints about, and of course, we never see into Viserys' point of view, but you do get a little bit more in the books. He's a terrible person, and he's obnoxious. That actor played that so well on screen. But he got to that point because of years of having to run for his life and all of the things that was supposed to belong to their family taken away from them, starting to see killers around every corner. Everyone is out to get us, and we have to stay on the move just to stay alive one of these days. We'll go back and take what's ours by fire and blood. That's how Danny was raised with that message in her ear. 
And she's tried so hard to break away from that. But now when she's gone through these same experiences, she's deteriorating to the same mental place. I have nothing left and everyone is out to get me, including John. Late into the night, Varys is writing another letter, but as he hears boots coming down the hall, he burns it and removes his ring, placing them in a container. Grey Worm ushers him to the beach where John and Danny wait. Before his execution, Tyrion admits it was him, and Varys tells him he hopes he's wrong about all this. Goodbye, old friend, he says. Danny sentences him, and when Drogon's face appears out of the darkness, she says, Dracarys, and the dragon moves in to burn him. She says it completely emotionless, as yeah. though this is just a point of business to take care of. Well, do you think she knows that he tried to poison her? Because then, then I'd be like, yeah, well, it's understandable. No, I don't. I don't even know that she wholly wants to do this. Like I said, I think she's blaming this whole thing on John. Okay. Doing exactly what she said not to. But if somebody's all out plotting some kind of treason, she mm-hmm. can't let that stand. The look on Varys's face when Tyrion touches him, it was said in that uh, behind the scenes video that that wasn't scripted. But the actor did that because he felt like uh, he's never been touched. So this was like the first time he got that kind of touch and he was like thrown aback from it. I think that's beautiful. Kept thinking, well, we think Varys is going to survive this. And he almost did. That dragon shot was dope too. Oh, incredibly terrifying. Beautiful as he moves in out of the dark. Yeah, Tyrion might be the closest thing he's ever had to a true friend. And even though he went and told Danny about this, Varys understands. It's kind of like, what were you going to do? We're both stuck with our positions now. There was nowhere else to go. I accept this, but hear what I said. I think this is going to be important. And it is. You know, he's a smart man. He's been warning her for episodes now, saying, this isn't the type of person you are. You can't kill the innocent. You can't kill the people. They're not going to love you when she does choose to go with fear instead of love. And this journey he's been on, right, throughout all of these years, just trying to get a ruler that would be good for the people on the throne, slowly moving those pieces around. He was the one who helped get Tyrion out of King's Landing, save mm. his life. And when he was ready to say there's nothing left to live for told him there's another ruler, a better ruler, Mm. someone that you can get behind and believe in who needs your help. And he believed in Danny that much and brought him to her to try to fight for this cause. But I think he wasn't blinded by that when he started to see these red flags come up and he says, I've seen this before. I know how this story ends. Well, yeah, but let's be honest. He's not a good guy, quote unquote. How many kings has he followed and then left and helped destroy? Because they were bad. Okay. You know, that's what he means by, I'm not going to be a Kyburn that goes down to the bitter end saying, yes, Cersei, whatever you say, if this isn't what's right, all I care about is if we've gotten to a point now where you are going to burn thousands of innocent people that don't deserve this, I can't back that anymore. I've told you the truth to your face. I think it's a mistake. And now I have to do what I think is right. And I kind of value and respect where he's coming from and how he went out with such dignity to the very end. He's got a pair of balls on him. No, we don't. Later, alone in her chambers, Danny gives Grey Worm the only possession Missande apparently brought with her across the narrow sea, her slave collar. He throws it into the fire, and then they're interrupted by John coming to speak with her. Danny is bitter about what Sansa did, knowing what will happen once people hear the truth. Far more of those in Westeros love him. She doesn't have love here, only fear. 
He tries to tell her he loves her, but when they kiss, he again pulls away, and she realizes it's only as his queen. So she says, all right then, let it be fear. I think it became obvious in this scene, John is hiding behind the you're my queen thing. Hmm. I don't know internally what was happening with this relationship. I do believe that he loved her as a person and wanted to be with her, and all of this other stuff is just getting in the way. And John is too starkish, too pig-headed. No, I don't think he's dumb. I have to stand up in defense of that here. I think he does things that are very Ned-like. I cannot tell a lie. I have to do this thing that's right, even if maybe he shouldn't. That makes him look that way and gets him into bad positions. You got to read the signs here. When you see what's going on, maybe react a little bit differently and you can help prevent the coming events. I mean, nobody was to know what would happen here, but we don't get a lot of that. Is he pulling away because it's weird now that he's found out about his identity, that she's his aunt? Is it because he's terrified of her? He just saw her burn Varys and isn't eager to jump into bed with her right now. I was, I was going to ask you the same thing. Why was he pulling back? Did he fall out of love with her because of all the things she's been saying and doing? Is Sansa and Arya whispering in his ear? I think it's all of those things. Or echoing, not whispering. And I think he wants to still believe in her, but in his heart, that's already failing. He doesn't. And yet, he still needs that. You're the queen because he doesn't want to rule. Part of this is selfish. It's to put that distance between that. If he steps up and says, you're doing the wrong thing and I have the better claim, he has to be willing to take that responsibility and he's still not. After the end of this episode, I am hoping, truly believing that that will change. Otherwise, I'm going to feel very differently about Jon Snow that I've championed from the beginning. But I think the writing's on the wall in these scenes. You know, I brought this up in hopes after the long night. And then I realized the next episode real quick that I was wrong when I was saying that they just went through this war against non-human entities. It was humans versus them. I thought they'd have some camaraderie. And I still believe, and maybe this is another reason why I want a distance of a season. So season eight, The Long Night, season nine, The Last War, because I feel like they just went through this long night. And I mean, I played baseball. We would win the championships. We had such camaraderie. We would do anything for each other. I played football, even more camaraderie. We would do anything for each other. Right after having that fight against the White Walkers, how can they already turn around and, and just start scheming against each other? I'd be like, we've been through it all together. We can, be, we can get through this together. I'd, it, it doesn't matter. We're on Team Humans. Let's get rid of this big bad, I want to say a different B word, Cersei, together. Who cares, you know? Yeah, well, I, I think you're right, or I'm just glorifying it and I'm like... The, the timing can is... Can we all get along? No, the timing is off. We did still need more space for this to breathe. The whole stuff between John and Danny has happened really quickly, ramped up, gotten knocked down. I do think it's the only reason he marched south and continues to say, you are the rightful queen and would make a good one despite his reservations because of these things they've been through yeah. and also because he doesn't want to rule. But also for her... It's the same problem. Yes, this has all happened way too quick, and I don't think she went crazy because John wouldn't be with her or sleep with her here. I don't believe that. No. How you could get to the place of thinking that, seeing this episode, I understand. But this is the last final peg. Danny is being knocked down, having everything taken away from her. No one believing her. No one even really thanking her for yeah. everything she yeah. sacrificed in the long night. 
every single time listening to her advisors to her detriment to yep. lose, to have things taken from her. She's done hearing all of that. And she's tried that speech on John. The let's just be together. Please, let's just make this work. Please don't do these things you're doing. Mm. He didn't listen. And we were mad at John for that too. Just turning around and telling his sisters. Um, yeah, and I meant that as a whole. I meant this whole thing happening with mm-hmm. the sisters, with everyone, right after, right from that party, you know? Warp speed. In our last Dragonstone scene, the next day, Tyrion makes his final attempt, so they're all kind of giving it their last best shot here, to convince Danny the people of King's Landing are innocents, just like those in Marine. They're afraid to resist Cersei, is all. He begs her to wait this out, but Danny thinks Cersei will use their weakness of mercy against them, and she's wrong. Danny is thinking about the generations that will come after and freeing them of tyranny. In his final effort, Tyrion pleads with her that if they ring the bells, it means they're surrendering to call off the attack. She kind of says yes, but immediately responds by telling Grey Worm to ready the Unsullied and wait for her outside the city. She also informs Tyrion, Jaime was stopped trying to get past their lines. He hasn't abandoned Cersei after all. She warns him the next time he fails her will be his last. He's really good at getting caught, by the way. (laughs) And getting out of it. Against well, all I know, odds. but he's been caught so many times. <laughs> um, a lot of people were wondering about these bells, and we'll talk more on that later. Was it supposed to be a trigger for Danny? That makes no sense. No. I, I don't think that had anything to do with anything, but it is not the first we've heard about the bells. Maybe easy to forget. In the Battle of Blackwater, back in season two, Varys told Tyrion, I've always hated those bells. They ring for horrors. A dead king a city under siege. So that seed was planted a long time ago when the bells ring, it never means anything good. And as a person intimately associated with what's happening in King's Landing, you know to be afraid. So interesting that those words came from Varys, who's saying this is all going to end badly, and that's kind of the signifier to kick it off when it does. I think it was really just meant to be a callback to that. Meanwhile, Arya and the Hound arrive in King's Landing. They truthfully explain to a guard that she is there to kill Cersei, arguing it would be easier on them all without a siege. And as the man grapples with his confusion, they ride right in. Jon and Tyrion row ashore to where tents are set up outside the city walls. Tyrion asks Davos for a favor as the greatest smuggler alive. Then he pulls rank on the soldiers guarding Jaime to go in and talk to him. He tells Jaime that Cersei will die unless he convinces her to change course. When have I ever been able to convince Cersei of anything? Try. If not for yourself, if not for her, then for every one of the million people in that city, innocent or otherwise. To be honest, I never really cared much for them, innocent or otherwise. You do care for one innocent. I know you do. And so does Cersei. She has a reason now. The child is the reason she'll never give an inch. All the worst things she's ever done, she's done for her children. It's not impossible that she'll win. She won't. Her enemy's forces have been depleted, as she said they would be. Two of the three dragons are dead. She's even the old. The city will fall tomorrow. She has the Lannister army, she has the gold. I defended the city last time it was attacked. I know it better than anyone. It will fall tomorrow. I suppose I'll die tomorrow, if not before. Why? At this, Tyrion urges him to escape with her, offering a path out. 
Under the red keep, through the room with the dragon skulls, he can follow the stairs all the way down to the beach, where a dinghy will be waiting for them. They can sail to Pentos and start a new life. He also instructs him to have the guards ring the bells on his way out. Jamie agrees, but worries that Tyrion will die for this. So a lot of people wondering, is this going to come back to bite Tyrion later? By the end of this episode with Jamie and Cersei dead, is it still going to be an issue yes. that Tyrion let him in there? To Danny, it will be. Now, you would say, how would Danny even know? I honestly think she told him on purpose. She was watching, or she had people watching. And those soldiers right away, when they left the tent, went and told her. Or went and told someone to tell her. And she was fully aware of it. All it takes is one of those guards being alive. I hope that Davos doesn't go down for this. I've been wondering. He was such an important player and hasn't really been a factor here in season eight. Calling in on the smuggling abilities to get that dinghy in there. I mean, that is not a thing that should cost this man his life. No, I don't think so. I don't think she knew everything that they spoke about. But I think she was waiting to see if Tyrion's going to, behind her back, go see his brother Mm -hmm. and release him. I really like this scene between the two brothers. I I love every scene when they're together. At the end of this, Tyrion gets emotional. He tells Jaime without him, he would have never survived his childhood. He says, you were the only one who didn't treat me like a monster. You were all I had. But they have a line in there that other people have talked about, and I agree, is very, very odd. (laughs) Jaime saying, he never cared much for the people of King's Landing. This is not of consequence to him. This was the biggest part of the Jaime arc, and I've been such a huge fan of Jaime that I really wanted to see all of this pay off. So I'm trying to view his final episode in a favorable light. But the goodness that people didn't know existed in Jamie. part of his problem was that he killed the Mad King in order to save all of the people of King's Landing, that he was going nuts and was going to burn them all, much like Danny is going to do here. That's why he fought for them. He took this title of the Kingslayer that became this awful thing and haunted him for the rest of his life, finally coming to the point where he's like, well, I'm just going to be the damn Kingslayer, then nobody believes me. There was that amazing scene with Brienne where he was in the bath with her, explaining this is why I did all this. So to so flippantly kind of toss that out there now, it's like, are the writers trying to get you to think he has come back around to this I'm bad like Cersei thing? I don't care. Is he trying to put up a front to Tyrion? Like, I don't care about any of this. Is it a mistake? I mean, why is it there? Uh, Just to try to make us believe that this is possible, that Jamie would just turn and do this. Uh, Make us forget that their sister wanted them killed. Bronn was going to kill them. Mm -hmm. But no, doesn't matter. I still love her. I want to go see her. It's so unsatisfying, this whole Jamie thing. And it gets even more unsatisfying once we find out what what happens to him. I guess I was in denial last week when I said, I still believe that he's going to go there to kill her. No, I thought that was true. I believed that too. And I do buy him loving her despite all of his logic, all of his reason, even wanting to be a better person. If he knows this is the end of her, he can't help but to want to see her one more time. But I thought his journey through the city was going to be just as much about helping the people again. Maybe she doesn't need to die. Maybe I don't need to kill her. If she is just defeated, we ring those bells and surrender and I get her out of here. Her power is gone anyway, but I still love her and I don't want her to die. That's confusing. It's muddled. It's not Jamie becoming the ultimate good guy, but I like it. I can buy it 
as a completion to the story arc. And then by the time he finds her, it's all done anyway. So what's left but for them to be together in these final moments? Every single part of that, while rushed and a victim to everything else that these character developments have been, it all still kind of works, Hmm. if not for that damn line. It is really important. It's not just a throwaway. I guess. It doesn't work for me. The whole thing doesn't work for me. Mm. He left her. They didn't leave in good terms. He was realizing all last season how much of a witch she still is. He was in love with Brienne. He was happy. His whole story arc. Well, and I I definitely hear you on that. I can appreciate the frustration as a Jamie supporter. I get it. But it's also like life is never really that clean, right? His journey from the worst villain on the show to someone we can relate to, to someone we're pulling for, happened over a long, slow movement. Right. You're going to have stumbling blocks. As much as you want to be good, if he's sitting up there in the north, everything's happening down here. This person who he, he still has feelings for, you can't just shut that off because you know she's bad. I guess. So he comes back and needs to see her doesn't mean he's excusing everything. No. And I think that he doesn't want to see her in this position anymore. She is being taken down. But, you know, like we said, there's not enough time and then you can't afford mistakes like this on top of that. I've always said in the seasons prior, everything's gray. There's no good guy, bad guy except for John. So I was willing to sway back and forth. It's the extreme. Mm -hmm. And again, it's the time thing. But I I think the time thing could have been addressed a little better here. Did we need the scene with him fighting with Euron? For what reason, I don't know. Nope. Euron could have died in that explosion. Totally plausible. Everyone else did. And instead of Jamie running through corridors doing we don't know what, just trying to get in the back way to the Red Keep, do we have him trying to get to those bells to ring a surrender or trying to stop her before he escapes with her? That'd be great. So that we still have that. He still wants to remove her from this position. He just doesn't want anyone to kill her. And now the gray becomes fine, I think. Mm -hmm. And you have that one scene worth of time. To show that happening? Of course. Yeah, I agree. Rewrite! In this moment, though, we have this very emotional goodbye. I think both men realizing this is the last time they're going to see each other. The brothers hugging, crying. And it does feel like it all hangs on Jamie in this moment to make the plan succeed. When Tyrion leaves him, you got to get her out of there and you have to get the bells to ring. Otherwise, we're all screwed. Then at daybreak, the Kraken ships sit in the bay. You're on readying the scorpions all with lion's heads on the front, and watching the skies. The Lannister soldiers clear the streets of the city, ordering civilians to take safety inside their houses. The Hound and Arya moved unchallenged among them, and Jaime walks through with his cloak up. As they begin closing the gates on the tide of people trying to get inside the Red Keep, Arya and the Hound are the last to make it through, but Jaime is stuck on the outside, fighting through the many now yelling and banging on the doors, finally moving down an empty side alley. Outside the city gates, the Golden Company lines up, Harry Strickland at the front on his white horse, staring out as the Northern Army assembles, and Cersei surveys all of this from high above. Back on the ships, Euron looks up and sees something coming straight down from out of the sky. It's Danny on Drogon. She torches a bunch of ships before the men can regroup, and even when the scorpions on deck fire some arrows, they all miss the dragon. She we can- forgot how to use these. <laughs> she can- how do you use it again? continues on to light up all the scorpions on the battlement, her music playing in the background. 
Listen, I loved these scenes. Again, it was visually amazing. And I was like, yes, because I love the dragons, mm-hmm. right? And they did it so well. The impact that it showed. It wasn't just fire over these things and then they're gone. Especially with the castle, the way they just moved it because the impact of the fire was beautiful. Exploding. This would have been the men on top of the yeah. battlements falling off, so the ships cool. breaking into a million pieces. <clears throat> the payoff would have been great if they just didn't have to. Uh, we need to kill Rhaegal. We need to kill him. Uh, so you know, last episode ruined parts of this episode yeah. for me. You needed the scorpions to be less effective last episode. Mm-hmm. Have less range, have a weakness inherently to them that Danny figures out. Because if it's diving down straight above, they can't turn all the way up. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. But now you have all these other ships around and the ones on the battlements. Yeah. She's flying low when she then proceeds to circle around. Yeah, I kept yelling, go up, go up, you're too low. Why wouldn't they be able to hit her in reality? It doesn't really add up. I was burying my disbelief in this moment because I finally thought I realized she's going to do what we've been wanting her to do. She's going to only target the armies, the soldiers, the scorpions, then the Red Keep. She's going to save the civilians. And this was her plan all along. She's going to prove them all wrong. I can use the dragon to systematically take down my enemies without ruining King's Landing and all the small folk. So I was feeling good here. I was like, okay, doesn't matter that it doesn't make sense. This is an awesome moment. Even unto the next moment, outside the gates, the standoff continues. The men hear explosions in the distance, and then a burst of dragon fire blows out the gate, killing the entirety of the Golden Company. And I was happy for that. I was like, hell yeah, you know what? Fuck them. <laughs> I didn't understand. The gate exploded so violently. It was awesome. It actually didn't look like dragon fire. I thought this is the first of the wildfire for a oh. half a second. And I thought I saw where they were going with that too. That she's got a plan. She's only going to take out the armies. But Cersei had a plan too. And uh. the rest of her wildfire is in the Red Keep. Mm. So when she goes to try to get her, Cersei's saying, listen, if it all goes wrong and you try to get me... You're not going to do that without torching the rest of the city. Mm. You think you're so smart. That's going to blow up everyone and you're going to look horrible. And even in the moment when Danny is sitting with Drogon on top of the building looking at the keep, I was like, it's happening. It's all going to go wrong, even though she didn't mean for it to. Well, your thought patterns were perfect because one, it's good writing. It would be great if Cersei had a plan because it felt like Cersei had so many plans. Last episode... When they walk up to King's Landing, you saw the walls littered with scorpions. You saw Cersei and her armies, the Golden Company. You were like, holy shit, we could lose this, man. (laughs) She has planned this out. And then all of a sudden, she's standing there, and it's like, she didn't plan anything after that. (laughs) She doesn't have much to do for the rest of the episode. She kind of just sits watching from the keep. Some of the later moments I like that we'll talk about with her, and they actually make it a point when Danny starts burning things to show some of the remaining caches of wildfire light, we see green. So if they were all grouped up into the red keep, like I feel like there's a way that could have worked and made well, Danny look better. Those were all hidden. Remember, they couldn't find from, was that last season or two seasons ago? Yeah, when she lit up the sept. It took them forever to find that. Mm-hmm. All those little pockets, she had no idea they were there. Mm-hmm. And just a reminder, these were remnants of the wildfire reserves that Danny's father, Ares II, wanted to ignite when his city was being pillaged and raped by Lannister men. Mm -hmm. He wanted to burn them all down 
And that's when Jamie put his sword in his throat to stop it. Yeah. He was willing, the Mad King was willing to burn his people, burn it all, so that the Lannisters don't get it. And the full circle even makes sense for him. If Jamie somehow figures out this is what Cersei has done, and Danny is on her way to inadvertently light it up, mm-hmm. there's crosses between Cersei becoming like the Mad King versus Danny. It was all clicking in my mind, and I was going, okay, I see where they're going. <laughs> but unfortunately, this isn't fan fiction, so let's get back to what actually happened. The Northern Army starts streaming through the now-destroyed gates, and Harry Strickland is left on the ground to die, taken down by Grey Worm. The Dothraki charge into the streets, killing soldiers with their Iraqs. The dragon continues to take out the battlements and the remaining scorpions until Kyburn brings the news to Cersei they have all been destroyed. The Iron Fleet is burning and the Golden Company is gone. She desperately tries to maintain her position that the Red Keep has never fallen and won't today. She insists her Lannister soldiers will fight harder to protect her than anyone else. Hmm. But she looks unsure for the first time. I want to come back to that later on, how this all kind of builds up with Cersei. But I think that was a key moment to put in there of that happening. Also, I want to mention, I think that knowing more about the layout of the Red Keep and how all of this works, where things are situated, might have helped to kind of understand things a little better. For instance, later when Kyburn says, we got to take you to Magor's Holdfast. As a TV watcher, do you have any idea what that is? No. Yeah, it's... They explain this so much more in depth. Obviously, they can't do that on a TV show, but I thought it was really interesting. So in our next episode, our closer look is going to be all about the Red Keep. Can't wait. Back to the streets, Grey Worm, John, and Davos march at the front of their forces until they meet with the Lannister army. Here's where the Light of Seven starts playing in the background, and you're going, oh no! <laughs> Tyrion is just staring at that bell intently waiting for his signal, and Jamie is running up and down alleys. Uh, the people of the city are running screaming as Drogon lands on top of a battlement. Fear accomplished. If Danny had gone on to just take out Cersei now... She has sufficiently scared the people enough. I agree. But anyhow, finally, at the sight of the dragon, the Lannister army all throw down their swords. They're like, you know what? We give up. That's it. And nothing happened. They all just sit standing there. The people start calling out desperately for Cersei to ring the bells. And after a very long pause, they finally begin to chime. However, Danny sits atop Drogon staring at the Red Keep, seething with bloodlust, and ignores the surrender. At this moment, she's not feeling satisfied. She's getting filled with hate, anger, angst. This wasn't enough. She wanted her vengeance. She wanted that for all the people she lost. She (sighs) wants everyone to fear her, and she wants Cersei to go down, and none of that's happened, and she can't stop now. But it can still happen. So let's pause there. Mm Mm-hmm. Because I think this was a great moment. Maybe it's not a Game of Thrones moment. But if she then took the dragon, landed, got off, met up with Jon, they started walking to the Red Keep. Accept the Lannister soldiers surrender. Accept them. Walk through them. Call them bitch. (laughs) Bitches. No, they did the right thing. I knew you quit. They did. They fought. I know, but just walk through and be like, I knew you quit. They fought hard for their queen, a queen they don't even like, (laughs) until they realized... It's done. This is it. We got to surrender. Okay, so bend the knee. Bend the knee. Mm -hmm. That wasn't fast enough. Punch him. She could do whatever, right? 
Meanwhile, in front of them, they're none the wiser. They don't know. But already at the Red Keep is the Hound and Arya. Yep. Now, remember, the dragon's not breaking shit down. (laughs) So the Hound's not going to say, don't do this. Okay, so they both go up. Down comes Cersei with Kyburn and the mountain. Cersei goes, kill him. So the mountain goes to protect Cersei. Clegane Bowl. Now, we did get Clegane Bowl, and it was visually spectacular in this episode. It was beautiful, but it had no bearing. Weight. There was no weight to it because it didn't mean anything. It would in this case. Mm-hmm. They start fighting. Enough time to distract, so Cersei's left undefended. Arya kills Kyburn. Well, the Cleganes are fighting. It means so much. This is awesome. They can have a spectacular fight there. Arya's about to kill Cersei. In comes Jaime. Mm-hmm. Wait! And then on and on and on. Mm-hmm. I mean, I could go on yeah. and on, but I think that would have been much better mm-hmm. television. Now, in comes Danny. walks Danny. in, sees Jamie, looks at Tyrion. How the F did he get out of the place he was being held? Exactly. And we could try to figure out, we could probably come up with a couple of storylines. What does Jamie do? What does Cersei do? What does Danny do? But I think in the end, Danny could actually get her a better revenge. She doesn't really get revenge. She doesn't get to see herself killing Cersei. Mm-hmm. I think it feel, would feel better if she actually got to kill her. And maybe, okay, maybe she has to kill Jamie too. You got to take Drogon you know? out of the picture there because well, yeah. Danny's, he, he's landed, he's back there. But Danny's still going to want to use him. So if Jamie comes in and warns them, there's wildfire here. You cannot use the there dragon. We go. Okay. Now he's served a purpose again, he's helped to save them. Mm-hmm. And maybe he has to accept that Cersei needs to die in this scenario. So we wouldn't get. As much cool dragon stuff, but I think we got enough with what she did to yeah. get in there. You could even and make I think that this a little been... bit longer and more yeah, epic, sure. knowing that have some more close calls with the scorpions. We have more room because there's no stupid fight with Euron, Euron yeah. right? So there's more time there. I think that would have been better television. That's all I'm saying. Well, it's it's really the point of switch for Danny here because nothing happened. And I guess that's the point. Nothing happened. It wasn't enough. We've seen before and we were told in the books what happens when the battle lust gets into men, quote unquote. Mm -hmm. The fire is burning in their blood and they can't stop themselves and it drives them to ever more horrible things. So beat Cersei up. But the issue (laughs) is, no, Danny's not really a lot different than all of them, but they don't have a dragon. They don't have a nuclear weapon that can take out an entire city. Mm-hmm. You can't follow that instinct when you have so much of a power differential because this is what happens. I do think they did a great job, Amelia Clark's facial acting here, of showing that all happening yes. on her face. It's the only thing that made me buy it in this instant. Because I could feel that inner monologue, even though I'm not hearing it. However, this just starts the domino effect, right? As soon as she does that. Literal dominoes. And Grey Worm sees her take off. He breaks the surrender at the line of soldiers. He throws the spear and the rest of the Northern Army starts attacking. John tries to hold them back, yelling they've surrendered. But as the crowd overtakes him, he's forced to take up his sword just to defend himself. Now, instead of Danny flying Drogon directly to the Red Keep as it looked like she was going to. Her dissatisfaction is not taking out Cersei. She has eyes on the castle while that's happening. Yeah. But she doesn't. She starts 
systematically torching the streets. Just random... Full of innocent people. Yeah. It's unforgivable. I don't know. That's like the snap of all snaps because she didn't just go for Cersei. And then that's when we see John, just a lost being, everything watching everything going on. Just breaks down. I mean... The good guys literally become the bad guys at this point. We see the bad guys helping, ushering in... The Lannister soldiers trying to get the small the people folk to out. safety. And we're looking at them like, wait, I'm not supposed to like you. I don't know what I'm doing. Yeah, well, and then John sees a northern soldier trying to rape a woman and has to kill him. Again, you just went through something about humanity together. How can you rape another human at this point? You just went through... And at this point, did I, didn't I say out loud? <laughs> and this is sad. I said, the Night King was right. Yeah. <laughs> like he's I hated eter- myself No, he's an that, eternal but. force maybe that was sent to... Again, not going back and fully tying in that lore and those ideas about why did we have a long night? Why did the Night King come? Was this why? When the dragons return, it signifies there's a power imbalance. Mm -hmm. There's going to be fire and blood. People are going to die. You haven't learned your lesson. Maybe no dragons were supposed to make it out of there. No Targaryens were supposed to survive. We don't really get any of that information, but I feel like that makes a lot of sense. We see that Danny continues flying Drogon, now around the Red Keep and starting to torch the castle. So now she goes for it. Parts of the tower begin crumbling into the sea. Kyburn goes and urges Cersei she must get out. The Unsullied have breached the gates and they have to get to Magor's to wait it out. As the streets burn, spots of remaining wildfire caches alight with green flame. And finally, inside the toppling Red Keep, the Hound and Arya have their conversation. He looks around and then he tells her to go home. The queen is as good as dead, and she will soon be too. He's been after revenge his whole life, and look what it's made him. Does she want to be like him? If she goes with him, she dies here. He's desperately trying to save her because of their relationship together, but he's also saying, ultimately, this is your decision. If you decide you're going to do the same as me and place your whole life on revenge, come with me. We're both going to die. I don't think it's bad that she decides not to do that. She has been returning to her humanity this season. She slowly stopped reciting that kill list. She came back together with her family. She was hopefully starting to see that there could be more than just being an assassin. And at this point, he's right. They don't have to do anything to Cersei because she's done. The only thing she would be doing is dying here. And I think Arya is smart enough to understand that. I also like... That once she leaves and they start cutting these scenes back and forth together, the Hound, Arya, both being in these different but similar positions, she moves further and further away, trying to get out of the streets away from the Red Keep. The Hound moves deeper and deeper inside of it. Mm. She's chasing life and humanity. Finally, he's going to his death for revenge. It's the two ways that this path could have gone reflected through both of those characters and seeing the two endings to the battle and what's happening to the city through their eyes. And I actually think that's amazing. Yeah, Game of Thrones is really good at that. They realize that just showing the destruction of the city would get taxing. But to show the destruction of the city through Arya's eyes as she's running away is going to be beautiful. It's going to be full of emotion, impactful. I wish I could watch it in VR. I mean, that was Beautifully done. <clears throat> a little unrealistic she lives through all that, yes, but... No, it's Arya. She I want her to make it out alive, <laughs> so it's fine. She acted that brilliantly. Absolutely. 
Inside of the Red Keep, Kyburn leads Cersei down the stairs, trying to spirit her to Magor, surrounded by the last soldiers, but the roof starts caving in from dragonfire, killing many of them. Leaving the mountain untouched, though. And then the Hound meets up with them on the staircase, taking out the rest of the guards easily and turning his eyes on his brother. Hello, big brother. Kyburn steps forward, ordering the mountain to stand by his queen, but he just chucks the man against a rock, ending his life. So this was out of character because he was so just whatever they say he does. But is it because of his hate for his brother? Yeah, people were saying that, you know, so many people were just so excited to see the Clegane Bowl. (laughs) (laughs) They didn't care when, how it happened. Others were saying it can't really be fulfilling now, though, because it's just for quote unquote fan service. The mountain is gone. This is an undead creation of Cersei. I believe this moment was supposed to show some of him remained enough that when the moment came down to it, he had sights only for his brother. That revenge goes so deep when you build your whole life on it that even dying couldn't take it from him. So I had some Clatchers ask me, because they don't remember, they know why the Hound hates his brother. He dug his face into fire, burned him, made him hate fire, ruined his life. Mm -hmm. But why did the Mountain have so much hate towards the younger brother? Just bad. Even as a kid? Even as a kid. The Hound took a toy from him that he didn't have permission to take and was playing with it. Okay. And that's when he came in and, and found him and held him to the fire. Yes, he's an undead monster, but really not so different from the way the mountain was to begin with. And the hound here says, but his helmet flies off. Yes, that's you. Finally, the outside reflects the man that's always been in there underneath, the man that I've seen all along, a monster. So I actually thought that was beautiful, and it's way more about... Sandor's journey, Sandor's difficulty, it always has been. It doesn't matter what form he's in now. Sandor knows this man, this beast now, whatever he's become, has to be taken out. And if he dies in service of that, it's worth it. He has to eliminate him. Also, I think the hound was done living. Like he was miserable after this. What does he have to live for? Yeah, they gave him a little bit of hope seasons ago when he was working with that spiritual order. Oh, yeah. That was cool. And on his journey with Arya, but I don't think it was ever enough. This thing was too consuming. That's what he's been trying to tell her all along. Don't let it get to that point because then it's too late. No matter what you do, it's too late to turn back. Mm. And all he had left was to save her and now take Gregor down. So I actually I really liked this. Call it fan service, whatever you want. Maybe that's what I'm into then because... <laughs> I wanted to see the showdown. When the mountain's helmet comes off, he reveals this pale, mottled face with black eyes, riddled with bruises. That initial wound that he had on his stomach that was getting infected when he died is just disgusting. (laughs) It's spread everywhere. And he's unkillable. You get a moment of hope as their swords initially clash. They kind of seem evenly matched until the mountain's inhuman strength starts to win out. The hound stabs him in the stomach, and he simply pulls the blade right out. He begins beating the hound badly, grabbing him by the neck, pushing him against the wall, and using his signature move to nearly put out both of his eyes. Poke you in the eye. That's how he killed my man, Oberyn. Yeah. Oberyn! So sad. Those actors, there was no doubles there. Rory McCann had to 
actually get thrown against the wall many times. You guys have to watch that after show. He's actually like coughing when they call when they yell cut. He's like, Ugh. that was a they grueling day. They said they thought day. he was dying in real life. <laughs> they were worried. What you would do for your craft. Well, it looks like the hound's about to be beat. He is a bloody mess in a last effort when even the dagger that he puts through his brother's eye doesn't seem to affect him. He lunges forward, pushing him out the crumbling wall in a fall to both of their depths in into the fire, fire below. Yeah. Very, very poetic. poetic. <laughs> very, yeah. very beautiful. A lot of people thought that was just shitty fan service, but... I loved I it. I liked it. I just wish there was more, like I said before, if it was to get Cersei, it would mean more, you know? But all sins of the past, ripple effects okay. is what I mean. I like if, that. If we want to get hung up on all of the mistakes that are now dominoing out into these final episodes, yeah. it's very easy to. If I'm trying to just take it for what it is in the moment... yeah. It was great. It's beautiful. This episode was so beautiful. Visually fantastic. Mm -hmm. I'd rather watch this episode a couple more times rather than watch The Long Night. Yeah. Unfortunately. Yeah. I I agree. You know, there was a quote. I'm going off a script here. There was a quote in an interview with George R.R. Martin when he's stating... If you've planned your book that the butler did it, and then you read an internet, someone has figured out that the butler did it, and you suddenly change in midstream, and it was the chambermaid who did it, mm. then you screw up the whole book because you get these this foreshadowing early on, and you've got these little clues you planted. Now they're dead ends, and you have to introduce other clues, and you're retconning. It's a mess. I think he was kind of referring to the fact that in his books, Jon Snow is the one that's going to kill the yeah. White King, and the Double Ds felt like it was too obvious. Everyone guessed it, so they need to change it up. They wanted a surprise. Um, and they've never been big on the prophecy or the lore, the religions, the fantasy elements. That's why I knew <laughs> my letdown came with the long night and everything that leaked out after that that didn't get resolved correctly. Mm. I do see here in this episode, there are some characters that don't seem to have the effect they should to the central storyline. I don't know if that is going to resolve itself next episode in the finale better. I'm not hopeful after Hmm. the way things are going, but that's big picture stuff, so I want to save that full retrospective for when we get into the bonus. As we said before here, these scenes are juxtaposed with Arya's flight through the city. People are screaming and burning, falling out windows, bricks are exploding. The dragon is just continuing to strafe up and down the streets. When Arya falls to the ground and it seems like the end, a woman pulls her to her feet and then they get swept up in the crowd. She's knocked out and she comes to, covered in ash, choking. This was great. Everything is just covered in white and she stumbles into a building, finding a bunch of women and children hiding. She manages to drag a few out into the open, insisting they must leave or die there. But once outside, they're quickly separated and taken down. No matter what she's trying to do, she can't help. The most she can do is get out of it alive. As we said before, there's the parallels to the Hound, but there's also parallels to Danny herself, Arya choosing to let go of her vengeance and trying to save people versus Danny choosing to sink into it and just take everyone out. And below the Red Keep, Cersei makes her way to the map room where she finally meets with Jamie. She sees him emerge from that passageway. 
Crying, they both embrace, and relief tentatively washes over Cersei's face, thinking she might actually be saved. You know, this is Jamie, the one who can come in and rescue her from anything, until she realizes he's bleeding and hurt really badly. He leads her out of the room and to the underground dragon skull room, but they find the passage that leads to the beach blocked with fallen rubble. She breaks down, begins crying and saying she wants their baby to live, she doesn't want to die. He grabs her and looks her in the eye, telling her to look at him. Nothing else matters, only the two of them. And the reins of Castamere play as the roof caves in on both of them. I get it. It's very poetic. We see that Cersei is finally defeated, even emotionally. I don't want to die like this, but I didn't feel satisfied. I wanted to see her killed at the hands of Danny, John, or even Arya, or Jamie. Seeing Jamie just hug her, and I'm like, Jamie, you fool. And, and just the rubble comes down on her. I think that's the easiest way she could have gone out. Well, they messed up a lot of Jamie's stuff up until this point. But here, when he's dying of blood loss, I mean, if they got out of there, he might have okay. died anyway shortly. The building is literally collapsing in on them. And here's the woman, his twin sister. They came into the world. They always said they'd go out together. He loves her despite everything. She's carrying his child. Oh, whatever. <laughs> it's like, what more could he do okay. right now but to say, all we have left is this moment? Yes. And that's what I mean. It's very poetic. Um, and the fact that what she's been fighting to be a part of, the Red Keep, her the symbol kingdom, of power, falls on top of her, crushes her. What I like about this for Cersei, because I hear you on the Jamie stuff, and I thought I wanted to see Cersei killed too, but this was remarkably satisfying to me poetically for Cersei because I realized I didn't need to see her die. I needed to see her broken, which sounds horrible. It sounds <laughs> truly, I feel like the battle lust is within me now, but she's dangerous because she got so much power she should have never had. And all that we've really needed to do is strip that from her, remove it from her, but she was never going to let it go until she was forced to, until she was killed. We saw her come very, very close to that when she had to do her walk of shame. And you can't get as much inside of her head the way you can in the books because you have a character POV there. She is convincing herself the entire time she's being kept in that cell leading up to the walk that Jamie will come and save her. Jamie always comes. He'll hmm. come and get her out right up until the moment that they're stripping her and shaving her down. And then she starts to repeat those words, the words that her family have told her, Jamie's told her, she's told herself her whole life. What makes her image, what creates her power is this appearance. It's the Lannister name. It's what she projects to the world. It's what people see her as, a strong, beautiful woman. So they're stripping off her clothes and she's telling herself, it doesn't matter. I'm still beautiful. I'm the most beautiful woman in the world. Jamie always tells me that. It doesn't matter. I just need to make it to the Red Keep to get back to my child. That's all that matters in this world. And as she starts walking through the streets, she fixes her eyes on that Red Keep, the symbol of everything. And she's doing it, but people start taunting her, calling out these things. Look at her. She's, she's old. She looks her age now without all of her beautiful clothes and her gowns. And pardon my French, but her teats are as saggy as my wife's. They're realizing she's not above them. She's right. just a person. And that's the very worst thing that could have happened to her. Mm -hmm. To the point that by the time she finally makes it to the hill outside the keep, she breaks. She starts crying and frantically trying to cover herself, scrambling up the hill, getting dirty, having things thrown at her. It is the moment of that kind of leaving her 
But she makes it back inside and Kyburn greets her and he has this new creation of the mountain. It's back on. She's going to be ruler once more. So it's, it's very fleeting. But the same thing is happening throughout the course of this episode. She's looking out from the Red Keep so confident. It doesn't matter. She's going to win this thing. And then thing after thing starts going wrong. And she starts repeating those same bullshit words to Kyburn. The Red Keep has never fallen. It won't fall today. Well, my men will fight pr- to protect me. The tower's literally crumbling from beneath her until she realizes, okay, I have to get out of here. And by the time Jamie encounters her, it's like the last straw. Mm. It's, it's, it's all gone now. And when all of that is taken away, she realizes what's true, what her brothers have been saying about her all along. The only thing she really cares about is her children and Jamie. I, I don't want to die. I don't want my baby to die. So, I don't know, I thought that was one area that came completely full circle and paid off everything. How they get Jamie there is a little bit rough and we have to sacrifice some of his arc in the process and that's what I don't like. Sorry, that went really long. But being an area that I really appreciated, Hmm. I felt like I had to pay it some justice. There's so many other things that are problematic. We are left with our final scenes here. Outside, John watches as Danny and Drogon continue Scorching everything. Everything's gone and they're still burning. So John and Davos finally order the, re- the remaining men to fall back behind the walls and they start running toward the gate. Took them long enough. <laughs> Sometime later, Arya looks out on the ruined streets. Everyone is dead. Everything is burning, covered in ash. She's staring at the destruction when one white horse appears, standing alone. Bloody, but alive, just like her. She slowly approaches, calms the horse, and then mounts it and rides it out of the city. So there's a lot of symbolism there, and there's a lot of articles. Of course, it's all guesswork. Do you think she's gone forever, or will we see her next episode? We'll get into this in Clatcher's comments. A lot of people believe she's now on a new mission to take out Danny. I don't think so. You can't have everything that just happened with the Hound her flight from the city, everything she saw. The whole point of you don't have to live just for revenge. This symbol of purity, innocence, goodness, this white horse, he's been through a lot. He's bloody, he's dirty, but he's made it Mm. the way she has. This is a last chance to get out and save something that's worth living for. My only hesitation is John's still here, and Mm -hmm. she loves John. Okay. So... I can really see this going either way. I don't want her to be the one to take Danny out because I feel like we've sacrificed so much of John's character, John's journey. This season, for sure. If he doesn't finally stand up in the face of everything that just happened and make that take the responsibility, I never wanted this rulership, but she can't remain here. Yeah. If not me, then who? Okay, so... um maybe she's the one, I can't believe I'm going to say this. I hate myself. She's the one that takes on, takes out Drogon. I feel like you have to do that. If you're going to take Danny out of power, you have to take Drogon. You have to take Drogon. And didn't we just prove there's no place in this world for these dragons. All they can do is cause fire and blood. And really, if you're down to one, it can't procreate. Right? All that's left is for Danny to use it for more destruction in the future. No, it'd be a nice pet. Just like Achilles. He was always the biggest and the strongest. I love them too, but I think if we need to tie her in, it makes sense that that might happen. No, I, I want John to walk out and be like, Drogon, this is what happened. 
But you're mine now. You know. And Drogon's like, it's okay. Or <laughs> John is the only one who can get close enough to Drogon because he's a Targaryen. Yeah. To take him I, out. I, I, oh, fuck. So maybe that's John's big play, and then Arya can kill Danny. Next week, Christina will be alone in this podcast. <laughs> Wow. Oh boy. So that was a lot. And I'm sure we've gone long for sure. We didn't even touch on the half of it. But like we said, we are going to get to all the interactive stuff on the next episode the MVB, the poll results, the closer look. To end things out here, let's make it official and give it our Raven rating. You know, looking back, I still feel confident about what I gave episodes one and two. I was nowhere near harsh enough on the long night <laughs> considering my problems with it. I went lower on last episode, The Last of the Starks. Maybe that should have been flip-flopped. I'm a little up from that. I like it better than The Long Night, but it still has its problems. So given all of that, I'm going to give it an 8.5 Ravens. Oh my God, that's exactly what I wrote. 8.5. Wow. Listen, if I just watch this episode in a bottle, holy shit, amazing TV. If I think about Game of Thrones as a whole, what we love about it, the narratives, how they bring us on these adventures with the characters... How did we get here? It was too fast. Um, I would go lower. You but could you easily know see the IMDb 6.9 in that event. Yes, exactly. So as diehard fans of this show, I love it till its end. I'm going to go 8.5. They gave me everything I've always wanted. Dragons. Where are the dragons? I want more dragons. And uh, <laughs> I just, um, I, hope, I hope this last episode gives us enough to look back on Game of Thrones forever with Euphoria. This is so interesting because the only other time this season we've been the same was for episode two, which was universally better accepted than most of the other episodes. Yeah. In other shows, we're usually a lot closer. We've we've really diverged here. I, I really should retroactively go back and change my long night rating because nothing else makes sense. But I do agree with you. I am in it for the long haul. I know, based on the way everything's been going, there is no way... I'm 100% satisfied with the finale. There's no way they can fix all the mistakes and backtrack everything they've already done wrong. But if I can keep this the way I have been the last few episodes, this is where we are right now. And I either enjoy the rest of it or I go out of this miserable. Just enjoy it. I'm taking what I can. I'm taking the good and rolling with it. We'll save perhaps the weighing and measuring for the bonus episode. Yeah. Oh my goodness. So thank God we're not doing Clatcher's comments right now because this has gone very long. This is crazy. Give you some background. Uh, it's Tuesday night. We're recording. We had a wake to go to last night for a best friend of ours. His brother passed away. It's very it, sad situation. It really was. Um, life gets in the way. This is a free podcast and, and we do the best we can, but we have to live. And there are some things that ultimately need to take precedence. So Absolutely. we hope that you can understand that. Actually, we started out the season saying all episodes would be released on Wednesdays, and we are going to keep to that commitment. It will yes. be up by tomorrow at the latest. However, I think we made a mistake. Yes. Looking back, that we started to release some earlier when we could, thinking that was a good thing, like... We're done on Tuesday. Let's get it up sooner. Maybe that made people expect Expected. something different. Yeah. I mean, I was surprised it'd be Monday during the day. Where's the podcast? I'm like, what? What do you mean? So here's, here's what happened. We did a prepper. We let everyone know we're going to do an instant coffee episode after the first episode. 
but I was up till 2.30 a.m. and had to go to work. I had to wake up at 5.30 a.m. to go to work. <laughs> and I was like, we can't do this every week. In the prepper and in that instant coffee episode, we said, Clatchers, we will be releasing our main podcast every Wednesday. Monday night we record, so we get home from work, we record, it's around 9.30 at night, go to sleep. The next night, I will edit it and get it out by Wednesday. You see what's happening here, Jason. <laughs> Logically, I'm with you on this whole journey. This makes sense. But if you're a listener right now, you're going talky, talky, talky. talky blah, My blah, show blah. that I'm in love with ended and I love CKC and I want to hear what they have to say. And listen, that is amazing. Please don't ever stop writing and saying, I can't wait for your podcast. When is it coming out? We do our very, very best. I think that as we get to the end here, it's even harder. The episodes are longer. It takes more time to synthesize all the information. And knowing it's about to be the last of these coverages, we don't want to give you a half-quality product. Yes. So I hope that when they come out, they are worth it. I know other casts get up earlier. I don't know how they do it. I don't know. But it's probably going to be the same for the finale. Wednesday will be the release time, just so you know what to expect. And we might get it out earlier. We try our best. So our Clatcher's Comments episode will be out in a couple days. If you want to join in on the conversation, email us, contact at coffeeclatchcrew.com, or call us, ckc.6606. That's 252-368-6606. Oh, and just to mention, we have a countdown to when the podcast is going to be released. So if you really want to know when are they going to come out with this next episode, go to coffeeclatchcrew.com. The homepage has a countdown. It also contains anything else that you might want to know about us. It has our gear page, so you can shop for any of the CKC merchandise, which, by the way, if you decide to become a Patreon member, and we sincerely hope that you do, it's a wonderful community over there. It's been growing. It's been amazing. You get entered automatically into raffles to win a free item of CKC merchandise. Every month, we have new winners who receive that. All of our episodes are up there. Ways that you can support the podcast. Everything is on the website, Coffee Clatch Crew. That's Clatch with a K dot com. Till next time, this round's on me. This round is on me. Please hang up and try again.